using the NLT, which is, um, which, that's all right, I can, I can read it, and, and the NIV is, is excellent too, but if you have your own version, just um, follow along, um, and that'll be up in just a moment. So we'll be going um, through verses 1 through 22 today. Um, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit may, the Spirit may give the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Will you pray with me before we begin? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gifting in each of our lives. Go before us now. Prepare our hearts for your message. Speak through the words 
that come to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I like this chapter. Um, At first glance, it's just very simply affirming. It reminds us that everybody has a place within the body. And Paul tells us about giftings, giftings that come in many forms and giftings that are given by God and used for his purpose. And I, I feel like that's one of the most affirming things I can think about, that each of us is called and crafted by this great, great God and given a special purpose and a special place within his kingdom to carry out his kingdom purposes. And that's so great. And so I I very much believe that this chapter is meant to be affirming in many ways, but Paul uh, often doesn't leave things with just one purpose. He's pretty complex, and um, he doesn't do anything for no reason. So it can't be ignored that chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is just one of three chapters that he uses right here on giftings alone. He uses these three chapters to talk about what these spiritual gifts are and what the best way to use them is and how to use them. Um, And I feel like if he's devoted that much time, then there needs to be a little more digging involved. So a background um, shows us that the church in Corinth was having a certain problem with spiritual gifting. Um, they had asked a question, and what that question is, we won't know. Um, but what we do know is that the leaders of the church and some others were very, very certain that the spiritual gifts that God had given to them were in some way better than other spiritual gifts. Um, they were very, very certain that they were great in these gifts. And all of that attitude did was create some beginnings of disunity. Um, The beginnings of disunity that Paul knew he had to speak into. The community was counting some spiritual gifts as better and some as more important than others. And consequently, They were taking for granted other gifts and overlooking the members who were gifted in those less important areas. And that was breaking them apart because God uses all of our spiritual gifts together. As one body, we need all of the parts. Now, overlooking members and not empowering every person in the gifts God has given them is a big problem, but it's only a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem. It seems that they were not looking at their gifts in the correct light. Many of the members had been separated from what was once their pagan beginnings, Um, but perhaps those backgrounds still lingered a little bit and still influenced some of their thinking. And some felt that they had been gifted in certain areas like speaking in tongues or prophecy back when they were pagans. And, And sometimes they were able to use those gifts even if not 
for the purpose of, of proclaiming Christ's kingdom. They were still able to use some of those gifts to a certain degree, and so they began to have this pridefulness within those gifts, saying, well, I had this gift as a pagan. I was able to use that gift as a pagan. It is my gift, and maybe not always recognizing that this gift came from God. And with not recognizing where this gift had come from, not using it correctly because of that. So there, there was this pridefulness in it. There was this thought that, well, God gives these really great gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues, and those are amazing gifts. And I was a very spiritual person, and I was able to grab onto these gifts. Or because I have these gifts, I am more spiritual. At any rate, whether it's the first or the second, there was a sense that these greater gifts meant greater spirituality, and those lesser gifts meant lesser spirituality, and therefore people with these lesser gifts or people who didn't have these greater gifts were somehow in some way a little dependent on the others, or maybe not as useful, or maybe even that they shouldn't be in leadership at all. They weren't giving God credit where credit was due. And that was the underlying problem. See, we're gifted because God has given us gifts. And we are gifted so that we may serve him. Now today, we're going to be talking about both spiritual gifting and being called by God. Um, because I believe that those two go hand in hand. They're, they're slightly, they are slightly different, but they really do go together because God gifts us for a purpose and we are gifted by him so that we can live into the calls that he gives to us and so that we can serve him. We are not gifted so that we can gain some pers personal pleasure and we are not gifted simply for the sake of being gifted or, or for the sake of, of putting others down. We are gifted to live into God's calls in our lives. Unfortunately, like the church at Corinth, I really think that sometimes we get the wrong idea. And I, I think that um, we still view some gifts as greater than others. And that's maybe different from, for every person. For a person who has um, a great ability to understand uh, language, <laughs> maybe, maybe you think speaking in tongues is the greatest gift. Or for a person who has a great um, ability in teaching, maybe you think teaching is the greatest gift. Or maybe vice versa, maybe we think to ourselves, well, teaching isn't really as great as healing or speaking in tongues. Either way, there's a skew in how we're looking at this. We're not looking at this from God's perspective. And that's the, that's the problem. Now, spiritual gifting is not about our own greatness. And it is not about our own failure. And I think that underlies the problem. See, I, I think that 
our pridefulness in our gifting stems from what we think we can do with or without God. If we are inclined to think we can do something without God, then that is pride, pridefulness. It is not about whether we actually can do something about, um, on our own or not. And having a particular spiritual gift does not make any person more or less worthy um, of being called to, be, to serve God. But sometimes it feels that way. God equips people with um, an unlimited variety of giftings and skill sets for an unknown, unlimited amount of callings, and yet we tend to view some of these callings as higher than others. Now, there are two sides to Paul's words. On the one hand, there's somewhat of a path to humility for those who prided themselves in their great abilities and their great spiritual gifts and who saw those other gifts as not as great. And on the other hand, there's empowerment for those whose gifts were oppressed or for those who saw other gifts as better than theirs. Both are important lessons, but I do feel that in this world today, in, in a world that's constantly telling us to strive more, to be better, um, that we're not all that we should be, I, I feel it's important to maybe focus on the latter, um, to, to realize that we are gods and we are gifted by him and there's no greater gifting we can have. Um, I feel like in an uncertain world, it is very important to know that because we're gifted by God, we are absolutely worthy to answer his calling. Now, this reminds me of a story that I heard a couple of years ago. Um, it's a story about a man who used to carry water every single day to his home in his village using two large pitchers um, secured, one each to uh, either side of a stick that he slung across his shoulders. One of the pitchers was full of small little cracks. And every time the man came back along the path to his house, half of the water would have leaked out of that cracked pitcher. Now for two years, every single day, he made that same journey and the, the newer pitcher was always very proud of how it carried its water. And it was scornful to the cracked pitcher because it knew that it was carrying the water the right way and the cracked pitcher knew that it was carrying the water the wrong way and it was so ashamed of itself that one day, while the man was preparing to fill it up with water from the well, it decided to speak to him. I wish to apologize because you only managed to take home half the water that you fill me with, and therefore you can only quench half of the thirst that is awaiting in your house. But the man smiled, and he said, when we go back, be sure to take a careful look along the path. So the pitcher did as the man asked, and he noticed that many flowers and many plants were growing on his side of the path. Do you see how much more beautiful nature is on your side of the road? 
the man remarked. I knew you had cracks, and I used them for a purpose. I sowed vegetables and flowers there, and you have watered them. I've picked dozens of roses to decorate my house, and my children have had all the vegetables they need to eat. If you were not the way you are, I couldn't have done this. Now remember the words again that Paul wrote in verse 22. The parts that seem the weakest and the least important are sometimes actually the most important. Both pitchers seemed to think that the newer pitcher could do his job better and was therefore more important and more useful. But the pitchers were validating themselves based on what they thought they ought to be able to do. And yet the man knew each of their abilities and used them for different purposes. One pitcher thought itself cracked and unusable, not seeing that it was specially, specifically being used for a purpose. But that only reminds me that we are each broken vessels in the same way. We each have our cracks and our imperfections, and yet God calls each of us. For a very long time, I was uncertain of my own gifts. And when I knew that God was calling me to serve him in a specific way, I felt unworthy, like a broken, cracked vessel. And I wondered if there must be some mistake. I counted my cracks as brokenness alone and never thought that God could use the brokenness and especially never thought that perhaps some of those cracks were not brokenness at all, but a unique and deliberate characteristic in my design. Have you ever felt that way? Wondered how to use your gifts for God? Wondered if you were even worthy to serve him? Or maybe just felt broken? Well, God uses it all. Perhaps the picture in the story would maybe rather wait to be used until he was mended. Can you imagine if that broken pitcher was mended, then it wouldn't leak water. It would have been able to quench the thirst of the man's family after all. But the man knew better and had other ideas for it. Is that a familiar thought to you? Have you ever wanted to wait to serve God until you felt like you were usable, like you were mended and not so broken? Or maybe until you knew what your gifts were and they were better defined or your gifts were better developed and you were better prepared and equipped. If that's the case and if you're waiting for that, then I really need to remind you to look anywhere in the Bible because God used the most ridiculous set of broken people imaginable. In fact, all of them. You cannot name them all because every person in the Bible was broken in some way, and yet God used them. Um, but here are a few. Abraham failed test after test before finally getting one right. Um, Jacob's sons, every one of them was terrible. Among other things, they sold Joseph, their own brother, into slavery. But there were plenty of other atrocities, and still God worked through each of them, in fact, made them leaders of a land, uh, his promised land, in very 
very incredible ways, and they were men of God. Moses killed a man, and in addition to that brokenness, he was unsure in his giftings. He protested when God asked him to speak before Pharaoh. He told God that he wasn't good with words. Well, he was unsure in the abilities God gave him, but God called him to be the leader to, to, let his, to lead his people out of slavery. And perhaps we think that all of those great leaders that are mentioned and all the many more who are in the Bible not mentioned today, um, maybe they had their flaws, but after all, they were leaders, so they must have had some more dynamic gifts. Moses maybe couldn't speak well, but he did leave his, lead the people out of slavery, and that must have required some impressive ability. So then I'm reminded of maybe the less impressive. Um, and I think, I think of Rahab. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. She was a broken vessel. And what would you say her gifting was? She isn't known for her great leadership. She isn't known for speaking in tongues or, or for healing or for her wonderful speeches. No, she's known for hiding spies and having faith. That seems like a very insignificant set of gifts. But because of that, she became one of the very few women listed in the genealogy of Christ, and she saved her family. Think on that a moment. Not only did she demonstrate extreme flaws, but the gifts that she displayed were not among those that we'd be in particular awe of. She was just another broken vessel, broken human, with standard, everyday gifts. But they were gifts that she used for God when God called her to do so. Now, all of these are broken vessels who may or may not have felt secure in the gifts God had given them. Broken vessels who had made mistakes. Broken vessels who one might wonder why exactly God chose to use them at all. But the point is that God did choose them. He called them, brokenness and all, each with their own unique gifts. As broken vessels, we don't have to wait until we're better, until we're better prepared, better equipped, better in general to answer God's call. Because God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And we can be assured that the way he gifts us and equips us is more than good enough. Now there's one more example I'm going to use um, because it's dear to me and it comes from Isaiah 6. It's a passage that once shocked me and, and well, continues to shock me actually because it showed me such a vivid contrast between God's absolute power and holiness and Isaiah's humanity. And you aren't going to hear a specific mention of gifting in this passage, um, so you might wonder where this is going to tie in, but you are going to hear a call. I want you to think, even though we aren't going to mention a specific gifting, 
I want you to think back to the attitude of the leaders at Corinth. They thought their spirituality was tied to their, to their giftedness. They thought that their, their abilities were their own and their abilities made their spirituality what it was. And I think we can agree that even though these gifts are not listed in Isaiah, um, Isaiah was a prophet. And so he had to have had a gift for prophecy. Um, and some of the very defined gifts that Isaiah displayed were the same gifts that spurred the leaders in Corinth into this sense of self-pride. And yet, what grabs me is the way that Isaiah is humbled and he shows brokenness as soon as he is met by the awesome holiness of God. God called and gifted that humbled and broken per person for his purposes. So listen as I read this passage. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Now, Put that aside for just a moment and think back to the church at Corinth. There is a major problem in their worship attitude, and it stands in stark contrast to Isaiah's attitude. It goes beyond the prioritizing of some gifts as better than others. In fact, the underlying problem was their, their attitude, their entire attitude towards those gifts, which reflected a deeper problem in their attitude towards God. Their pridefulness was not okay. Pridefulness takes away our reliance on God. And here were the leaders of the church deciding that the church was resting on their great human abilities. But it was God who gave them those abilities. So prideful were they in those abilities that they failed to see the importance and how the body must work together for the sake of the kingdom it wasn't just a fallacy in thinking that one was better than the other. It was a problem of not using their gifts in a godly way at all. It was a problem of believing themselves to be in a higher plane of spirituality than the others. But as Christians, we can never lose sight of the fact that first and foremost, Jesus is our Lord, and it is through salvation in him that we come before God, 
through the grace of the Holy Spirit that we are given these gifts at all. We must never fool ourselves into thinking that anything we do will put us into a greater realm of spirituality, nor that being a greater realm of spirituality will enhance our spiritual gifts. Can you imagine Isaiah? What a powerful and incredible leader he was. It's, he was already well-known and highly influential by the time we come to Isaiah 6. Um, very important people actually sought him out. And I'd be inclined to say that if it were true that one person were greater than another and one person could claim better spirituality than anyone else, I feel like he'd be in a pretty good running. I, I think that if anyone could claim they were greater, then he, he could do it. Um, and yet, when God revealed his holiness to him, Isaiah was stunned. He was taken aback, and he immediately declared himself sinful and doomed, living among a people who were also sinful and doomed. And that was, that was the beginnings of a mission, recognizing that those, those people and himself were all sinful and doomed, um, and yet he wasn't ready to embark on that mission. He didn't feel that preparedness. He just felt the absolute incredible feeling and knowledge of God's holiness. And next to that... He saw his own failings, but not in a bad way, not in a way that was self-deprecating. It was in a way that was honest and true. He knew how much he had to rely on God. He had to rely on God for sanctification and for, for, for salvation. He was already equipped um, he was already in ministry. He must have known already that he had abilities in leadership. Uh, he was already working with incredibly influential people, and yet he was humble. There was an implied task, but first he completely relied on God's grace. And God showed him that it was not Isaiah himself and his own human abilities uh, through which he could do anything. God showed Isaiah his holiness then cleansed him, sanctified him. And it wasn't after until all of that was done that God called him. And in that calling, after that process, recognizing it was God who gave him these abilities and powers and everything else, that's when he said, here I am, send me. And he recognized how God had cleaned him and built him up for this purpose and this calling. And the only reasonable answer was, send me. It's so different from the leaders at Corinth. Because Isaiah knew his validation was in God. Now, it could go two other ways, he could have realized that he was a great re leader already and prided himself in his own abilities. 
Or he could have dwelled in his brokenness and never stepped up. But instead, he knew that God had sanctified and prepared him. He knew that his abilities and his position and calling were given to him by God for the purpose of serving God's kingdom. And that is the only right attitude that we should use in understanding our spiritual gifts. And yet, Paul had to open his discussion on spiritual gifts by denouncing pagan idols and proclaiming Jesus as Lord, declaring that these gifts came from the Spirit because they didn't already see it. That was the problem. These gifts are not just special abilities that people can claim to use whenever they want. These are not simply existing within us so that we can build ourselves up or worship idols with them, but they are given by the Spirit. They are meant to be used in a way that serves Christ and declares him as Lord. They are the result of God's amazing work within our own lives and not our work. And they are absolutely meant to be used in unity with the other believers and their giftings. We should never use our gifts or view them as uh, in an air of pridefulness. And yet, we should also never be in a doubt of our gifts, but be confident in how can God can use them through us. When we have the right worship attitude, when we acknowledge God as the creator of our, of, of our gifts and the author of our lives, our gifts are then validated not through our community. Our gifts are used in ways that work in harmony with the rest of the members of the body. They are used in ways that uplift us and that glorify God. And that goes for every single gift we or others have. I don't know what your gifts are. You could have skills beyond skills and be the envy of all those who know you, or you could feel as ordinary as any person could feel. But here are some truths. You are gifted. You are gifted by God. And you, you, are called to serve him in a way that is so unique that he has crafted you specifically to answer. So now we're going to take a moment to think that through. I want you to think about some questions. I want you to think about how you celebrate your own gifts or the gifts of others. How are you using your gifts for God? And is there a certain calling that God is using in your life that God is calling you to in light of these giftings? Take a moment and we will end in prayer.